My name is Angela Blair, and before I tell you anything else, I want to tell you about my life. Basically, it's a lot like sex in the city without the sex. Now, I know what some of you, okay, many of you, are probably thinking. Here goes another weird religious girl who drank the purity culture Kool-Aid. But here's the reality. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, which is pretty much what people have in mind when they think of a party school. I'm not gonna lie, I went to parties, a lot of parties. I was in a sorority, I had a lot of fun. But unlike virtually everyone else around me, I didn't have sex. Or in college terms, shack on the weekends. Why? That's a good question. And if you stick around with this podcast, I promise to answer it, or at least try. Maybe it had to do with watching my own parents' marriage completely fall apart. Or maybe it was really believing that part in the Bible about saving your body and soul for that one special someone, your mate. Whatever it was, I decided not to do it. These days, that's about as radical a decision as you can make. Now, I wanna set the record straight and say that I made that decision for me and it worked. I'm not here to judge and I definitely am not trying to take a holier than thou stance about the decisions anyone else makes, but my decision definitely impacted my journey to love. So let me tell you a little story about how this played out for me in my dating life. This one time in college, a guy asked me out on a date and he took me to this really nice restaurant. Everything was going smooth. We talked a little bit and I mentioned that I decided to save myself for marriage. He could have just nodded his head politely or he could have asked me a million questions about my decision. Or he could even just say nothing and twitch around awkwardly in his chair. But instead, he just got up and left the restaurant. Just like that. Not another word. It hurt. A lot. But it didn't, however, distance me from my faith. But it did make me define it further. Truth. Faith doesn't come easy, and we constantly question our decisions. As I looked out into the world and I felt like there were just no guys that understood my decision, I struggled with my beliefs and what they meant to me. I left college and went on to live in glitzy cities like New York, and I was rubbing elbows with people whose value systems were so different than my own. I found myself wrestling with my place among secular culture. My most daunting moment came when I was chosen to be on Ready for Love, a televised matchmaking competition produced by Eva Longoria. Now, reality TV may not seem like the place for a serious dark time of the soul, but imagine standing there in front of cameras, millions of viewers wearing a really nice dress and being told by the judges that you're just not gonna work out because, you know, no guy will put up with a girl who doesn't put out. I was livid and more than a little bruised. But then 
I took a deep breath and started thinking hard about this thing called love. You've probably heard that about half of all marriages end in divorce. Here, however, are some stats that you might not have heard. In 1960, which really isn't that long ago, three quarters of all Americans were married. In 2017, that number plummeted to 55%. And even more baffling, among those who are single, an overwhelming majority, 60%, report no interest in dating seriously. Culturally, we seem to be shifting away from forming families. Not surprisingly, the birth rate is plummeting. It's at the lowest level recorded since the government started tracking that number in 1909. If you think about it, this is mighty strange. A visitor from Mars, say, who only learned about us from our pop culture, could have easily concluded that ours is the most satisfied, fertile, joyful, stable society ever. So many of the songs we listen to, the movies we watch, and the books we read celebrate women for taking charge of their own sexuality, for indulging in their appetites, for being shameless and liberated. Yet tons of research shows that Americans are the unhappiest they've been since the 50s. I'm sure there are a lot of reasons for this, but to me, it seems like the hookup culture, the transactional nature of modern relationships, and the diminishing importance of traditional values are probably playing a role. This is where the podcast comes in. On All Strings Attached, we'll take a long, hard look at what our culture tells us about sex, love, dating, porn, and everything in between. We'll talk to scientists who research the actual chemistry you have with someone when you're attracted, and to matchmakers who will tell us how they connect two special someones who are just right for each other. We'll talk apps and technology, navigating modern dating, and even porn, including the horror stories that come with it. I'm not just scratching the surface. We'll dive deep and we'll ask hard questions about what love means and what role does faith and family play in sustaining it? And where does sex fit into all of this? Now, before all of that, though, I've got to tell you the rest of my story. So a while back, I checked my Instagram and saw a direct message there from this guy. To be honest, I had given up on dating at that point. I was in my 30s, and I guess I got really tired of walking around and having everyone call me the virgin. However, this guy seemed too good and cute to pass on. Not only was he a professional baseball player drafted by the Boston Red Sox out of high school, but what he wrote me is what caught my attention. He said that he really loved hearing my story, that he too had made the same decision, and he too endured a lot of ridicule from fellow athletes in the locker room, teasing him about deciding to wait until marriage. I could relate. We met, and the rest, as they say, is history. Carson is my godsend, and now I'm thrilled to report also my husband. So this is going to be a happy ending kind of podcast. I hope you'll join me on the ride to get there. 
Now, to kick off the series, I want to bring on my first guest, Don Maslar, a biology professor, award-winning author, and the go-to authority on the science of love. Professor Maslar is the author of From Heartbreak to Heart's Desire, Developing a Healthy GPS, Guy Picking System, and the wonderful Men Chase, Women Choose, Biology of Relationships. As I said before, I am confident in how my decisions paid off for me. What was interesting for me was as I talked to Don, it felt like a lot of what I was asking felt like seeking assurance that I had made the right choice. I was back in my single Angela mode, being a champion for me and for folks in the same place. So let's get on with it. Here's my talk with Don Maslar. Professor Don Maslar, I am so excited to talk with you today about something we all share in common, love, the desire to find it, to keep it, to have the most fulfilling, amazing relationships. And I found your work because I came across this book called Men Chase, Women Choose, The Neuroscience of Meeting, Dating, Losing Your Mind, and finding true love. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Just to get us all in kind of the mindset of what you study as a love biologist, I'd love if you could read the first few paragraphs of chapter one. You know the feeling. You can't wait for the day to end so you can be together. You look at the pictures of you two and your heart fills with joy as a big smile spreads across your face. You feel so light, you almost glide with just your toes barely glancing the floor. And you feel giddy, even euphoric. At any moment, small woodland creatures are going to pop out and greet you. Birds will be twirling around your head. In any minute, Pharrell Williams is going to walk out singing happy as you dance with the animals. Clap along. If you feel like happiness is the truth, it's a magical, special time. You know that you'll hit the jackpot of life. You have fallen in love. This is the feeling everyone is looking for. A study from the University of Iowa confirms the universal search for love. When researchers looked at the number one thing men and women wanted in their lives, they discovered it was exactly the same for both, mutual attraction and love. Love is what this book is all about. I've explained where love comes from, how to find it, how long each phase is, yes, there are phases, and how long you can make love last. In these pages, I explain the biological processes that create the sensation of being in love. I'll show you what steps are needed to reach it and how each step is different for men than for women. Did you know that love is a chemical reaction that affects your brain? That falling in love is only one phase of a multi-phase process? Not only that, but you don't have the control of the neurological changes associated with falling in love, but you do have control of being in love. But the most important thing to know is that love is a biological process. And once you understand the science behind the way love works, it makes finding and keeping love easy. That is incredible. We don't often hear that love is a biological process. What does that mean exactly? 
in looking at the research, we can see definite phases. And these are chemical processes in the body and brain activity. So we see that the chemical process and the brain activity is completely different from the falling in love part than the being in long-term love. So there's actually attraction. There's the process of going to falling in love. That's the second phase. The third phase is actually falling in love, which lasts about two years. And then there is long-term love, which can last a lifetime. Wow. That's incredible. I was reading your story and there was a moment you had with your grandma. Tell us what she said that made you kind of think, is there something to this year? Well, my grandmother always said a man falls in love when he commits. Well, it turns out she was actually right because we find when a man commits, his testosterone drops. It allows the other neurochemicals to come into play. And it is a called an enzymatic reaction. It basically allows for that chemical process for him to fall in love to occur. So when I discovered that, I was like, what? <laughs> You're like, hold on, granny. Maybe, maybe there's something here. Yeah, you had it going on. For many people, this is a completely new way of thinking about love. So can we just break down really quick these four phases of love? So the first phase is attraction, which is really part of the fight or flight response. That's why you get the butterflies and the sweaty palms and the pupils that dilate. It's a fear mechanism. And I think Mother Nature set it up more for us to rush into a sexual relationship to decrease anxiety that helps perpetuate the species. We're overpopulated, so we don't need to be perpetuating the species right now. That's what I would fall for all the time is that I thought that was love. It turns out that once we get to know the person, there's a whole other chemical response that starts occurring and we build up neurotransmitters to fall in love. It's different for men and women. That's the second phase. And then the third phase is actually falling in love where we see deactivation of the brain. We see the prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of our brain deactivate. So that's why they say, you know, you're dumbstruck when you fall in love. And then that lasts for about two years. And then the long-term love, we can move into long-term love. One of the biggest problems with long-term or that movement is that critical judgment returns, that deactivation reactivates, and we can become really hypercritical as that transition occurs. So you're saying that the first two years, basically, of dating someone, your critical judgment part of your brain is deactivated. And all of a sudden, it's like the light comes back on and you're like, oh, wow you chew your gum really loud. That's annoying. Like all those little things just start to creep back in. You lose the ability to judge them, right? So they can be like, you know, this crazy mass murdering person. And you're just like, oh, he's just trying to help decrease the population. Wow. That's crazy. So what is the difference in men versus women on this journey of love? Well, the first, the attraction part is pretty much the same. The attraction is really kind of a biological and it's a sexual attraction. But once we go into the getting to know each other, the falling in love phase, we build up neurotransmitters differently. We have built up different ones. So for women, it's oxytocin. That's the hormone of bonding and trusting. So every time we get together, we meet, talk, we trust them, we build up a little bit. But it will build up a lot if we go into a sexual relationship because orgasms creates a lot of oxytocin. A man, on the other hand, it's vasopressin. And that builds up when he's sexually attracted, but not satiated. Once he's satiated, it drops back down. 
So in a way, if you get into a sexual relationship too quickly, she can fall in love and he's not going to fall in love. He may never fall in love with that particular person. The vasopressin discovery of how men attach, that is a recent finding, correct? Most of the research has been in the last 20 years. By discovering this vasopressin hormone, if you could just spell out what exactly that means for hookup culture. (laughs) So vasopressin increases when a man is sexually attracted, but rapidly decreases when he's satiated. So if he's in a relationship with a woman and he's sexually attracted and he keeps building up that sexual tension, eventually he gets to a point, gets up to the top of the roller coaster and down the other side is when he falls in love. But if he has sex too quick, he's back down at the bottom. He never gets up to the top of falling in love. Wow. So that could explain why it's easier for guys to hook up and not really have that emotional attachment. Another thing I read that you discovered is the serotonin levels. It shows why girls can feel crazy like after a hookup and it's not requited. Your serotonin level is the hormone of happiness, right? So when you fall in love, you think, wow, that must increase. But the research shows it decreases. It decreases to the level of someone with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's one of the reasons why you're so obsessed when you first fall in love. And at the same time, you've got these other neurotransmitters that are making you anxious. So you're obsessed, you're anxious, you can't sleep, you can't eat. All you want to do is talk to the other person. You spend like hours on the phone with them. You know, you're like, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. (laughs) Okay, I've been there. Yeah. (laughs) So, and that's what happens with serotonin, which is kind of interesting that it would happen. How long should a girl wait, if you will? Or what is the most optimal scenario? Because if a man doesn't, attach the same way a woman does with that physical interaction. What What is that timeline like? They've studied the timeline. They try to nail it down. The quickest timeline are in colder countries. I guess they're, they, have to, they have to hurry up on this thing. But in the U.S., there's not particularly a timeline as much as the commitment. Once the man makes the commitment, when he asks a woman to commit, that drops his testosterone enough to start the process. So if you can imagine an enzymatic process where the, the neurotransmitters are building up and up and up and up, kind of like a roller coaster drives down. Well, when the testosterone drops, it basically lowers the peak so he can fall in love quick. So then the vasopressin rises, which is the attachment hormone men have that women do not, correct? Well, at that point, now that the testosterone drops, actually oxytocin can come into play with him. And that's what's going to cause the bonding. Wow. So your book is Men Chase, Women Choose. But I think in today's age, a lot of women are like, hey, I'm going to go after the guy. What do you think about women chasing men and just what that does neurologically and how they perceive their potential mate, if you will? Well, so there's something that uh, in the book I call the possum effect. So basically what happens with the possum effect is we've all known the possum, right? A prey will go after it and the possum starts running. The possum stops and drops over. Why doesn't the wolf or whatever's chasing him eat the possum? It's a free meal. Why doesn't he do it? Because there's a part of his reptilian brain and we all have the same kind of reptilian brain, the basic brain that says something's wrong here. And because Mm. of that, that wolf backs up. And a similar pattern can happen in a man. When something looks too easy and the woman's chasing after him, 
he's like, something's wrong here. This is kind of, this is too easy, too good to be true. And he starts backing up. And that's one of the things that can occur when a woman starts chasing a man. (laughs) Um, I know for me, you know, my husband and I, we both waited for marriage. So I've heard it all when it comes to sex and being so important to build a relationship. And, and it definitely is an important part of our marriage and our relationship. But I think a lot of people have, at least in my, in my experiences have said, well, sex is important to know if you're compatible. What are your thoughts on that statement? Sex really has nothing to do with compatibility. I love when people make that argument. It's like, we have to have sex right away. So we know that we're compatible. Long-term love doesn't have much to do with sex at all. You may think it's important in the beginning, but let's say you're in a long-term relationship and something happens to your partner and they're incapacitated, they can't have sex. Are you going to leave them at that point? Mm -hmm. Of course not. That's not what love is really about. I think it's more like, here's the thing. If I'm a guy, the thing I want to do is get you in the bed as quickly as possible. And I'm not saying this to be derogatory on men at all. But if I get you to, into a relationship, a sexual relationship quickly, you're more likely to fall in love with me. Now, you're going to love and adore me. I can do anything I want, and it's going to be wonderful for me. But it's because parts of your brain have deactivated. You're, you're, you're not going to judge me anymore. You're, all this stuff is occurring. You're bonded to me. Your serotonin level has dropped. So you're actually kind of obsessed with me. So it's perfect for me. If I have to keep courting you, you're going to get to know me better. And there's a chance that you might find something you don't like about me. Mm-hmm. So the best thing I could do is say, hey, look, sex is really important. It's important to be compatible. Let's jump into bed quick. No, that makes so much sense. And I think sex is important. It's a part of a relationship, but it's sex. And you're saying this too with your findings is sex does not equal love. Sex, I think it's kind of shifted if you study marriage and you study how relationships have gone, you know, it used to be in the context of marriage and something you did in that. And then kind of the sexual revolution hit, birth control came out. It became, oh, you know, we can do this and there's no risk. And it's just kind of continued to transition into almost a step of, hey, do I like you really? When you look at the landscape of dating today and how people think about dating and finding your mate, what, what do you think is wrong with knowing what you know and the research you found? What, what's some wisdom you can give us on maybe different ways to think about how love is being approached and thought about? Young men are not going to be ready to commit, usually. Oftentimes, they need to be in a certain place in their life before they're really going to be in a committed relationship. So they'll maybe want to finish school or they maybe make enough money or something like that. But if they can get into a sexual relationship, of course, it's going to be great. It's the woman's job to choose. She can go ahead and be in a sexual relationship. But if she finds herself in unrequited love situations, then she needs to make a change. She needs to understand what's going on and make a change. There are women now that have some trauma. If you have trauma, you have a larger amygdala, which is a part of the brain that sounds the alarm. So you're going to have a lot more anxiety when you start dating. So if you get into a sexual relationship, it can actually quell the anxiety because we see a deactivation of it. So in a lot of ways, that early dating anxiety gets diminished. But again, you become obsessed, you become other things, you have other problems. But in some ways, it's it's in relieving 
to those women that have trauma. Is there a way that the brain can almost rewire or things can be reorchestrated? What, what, what would that solution be if you have had a lot of trauma in your life? Well, for the amygdala, the research shows that meditation actually helps shrink the mass of the amygdala. So instead of this big alarm going off, it's like the alarm gets shrunk. So it's not as much anxiety yeah. between therapy mm-hmm. and in just meditation and journaling and, and taking care of yourself. There are lots of things you can do. And, and actually, that's the best thing to do before you ever date is to get kind of centered in yourself. And then you're less likely to take yeah. these massive emotional waves. And in your research... Because the ultimate goal is to stay in love, like have this incredible relationship. You know, I just celebrated my grandparents' 70th wedding anniversary. They're still smiling. I don't know. They're still like, I'm like, what's the secret? Um, But what have you found for once you find that partner? Like, how do you keep that love? How do you keep it alive? Well, that's the interesting part. So when you first fall in love, your brain is almost like on automatic pilot. You're always together. You're obsessed. It's like, it's really easy. But after the two years, we see a complete change in your brain and your prefrontal cortex comes back online. And love moves from the more primitive part of the brain to the front of the brain. So it shares neurotransmission areas with morals, ethics, brotherly love, but it's also the decision part of your brain. So it becomes a decision. You decide that you're going to be in this relationship, that you two are in it for the long haul. And when you do that, when you activate those neurotransmitters, you actually get an activation in the back of the brain, too, of the opioid centers. So that's the nurturing, that feel good, that you can endure more pain. It's the part of it. That's why people do heroin is because it feels so good. And that that's what we're really for in that long-term relationship. And that's basically to get there, it's that you think your way into it. You make that decision. You get up every day and you're like, I love this person. I'm committed to this relationship. And I think that's why we have this whole ceremony of marriage and commitment and the rings and all that stuff is to help foster that long-term love. Yeah. Experiencing new things, like you said, and um, keeping that, you know, adventure alive and that spirit is so important in a relationship. That's another part of it, too, because that helps keep the dopamine up. Okay. Could we ever diagnose someone as in love? Yes. Really? Yes. We could do uh, functional magnetic resonant imaging of the brain. I can tell if you're in love or not. Wow. That is very interesting. I selfishly want to just ask, you know, we went kind of counterculture with waiting for marriage. We were both virgins in our 30s. I mean, what are the benefits of waiting? Because I always talked about it from a faith perspective. Like my faith is a big part of my life, but it sounds like it's also a scientific thing, just chemically. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you have two advantages by waiting. The first one is, yes, because you waited till you were committed and married. So you both fall in love at the same time. So that process can be a little unnerving. If you imagine parts of your brain are deactivating and stuff. So it's good to go through it together. But the other thing is once you come out of the falling in love phase at two years, when you have critical judgment returning, because you made that kind of sacrifice, you made that commitment. You're staying in here. You're telling your brain, I'm committed in this relationship. So you are moving smoothly into long-term love and you're more likely to stay 
can be in that relationship and not if you notice that he's chewing his gum funny, you're not going to be like running out the door, right? So you, because you made that long-term commitment. So your relationship is more likely to survive and live long and happy and prosper. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, thank you. What is some sound advice or wisdom you could give to singles on their journey for love that they can apply to their life? Uh, I do coaching sometimes. So when I tell the woman when I'm coaching, I get people that are like, either they're really anxious, like trying to find someone or they're like, you know, they don't care as much, right? If you're anxious, it's about enjoying the process. You go date, you're having fun. You don't bring out the resume on the first date and start, you know, asking the interview questions. You don't show up in a wedding dress hoping that's the dude, right? Yeah. You're just kind of enjoying yourself. That's what increases the dopamine for both of you to potentially fall in love. If you don't care, then eventually you're going to one day and you want to keep that in mind. Is if you're a free female, you don't want to circumvent the process. So you can enjoy yourself, but again, limit the sexual relationships. You don't have to have, you know, 20 this year. For men, it's understanding if he's, if he's not interested in a, in a relationship, that's, co- that's okay. Just be honest in the beginning. So thank you so much for being on. And um, if you have any final thoughts, would love just to hear any final thoughts from the love biologist. <laughs> thank you for having me. And I guess the final thought is no matter what stage you are in, but understanding what the stage is in how it works can help you immensely by either transitioning to the next stage or staying in long-term love. But remember, it's the best thing in the world. Absolutely. All right. Well, cheers to love and thank you again, Dawn. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Wow, that was a lot of science, a lot of new terms. Hopefully that wasn't too much, but I think it's important to talk about the science of love, like what's going on. And what really stuck out to me from that interview was how differently women and men build neurotransmitters throughout the process. Like women, we bond immediately. It's just kind of a natural thing for us. And then when we get sexual, that bond and attachment dramatically increases. Where in contrast, according to Dawn, men, their bonding hormone, vasopressin, takes time to build. And if it's satiated too early, it drops. That could really open up a huge can of worms for the timeline when you really should bring intimacy into a new relationship. I thought it was really comforting to know that if you've had past trauma, she said, yes, there's absolutely a way that you can heal your mind and your spirit and meditation is a huge way that you can do that. Also thought it was interesting how we talked about long-term love because let's be real, it's not always unicorns and rainbows. Like we're gonna have hard moments with our partner, but you can go back to saying to yourself, I choose to love you, right? Like we're going to work through this. So her saying long-term love, like love is also a choice, I think is a really healthy thing for all of us to hear because, I mean, I literally was driving down the road the other day and I saw divorce, 99.99. Like there's just signs everywhere, literally, that make it feel like the exit is just easy. But long-term love, like it's a choice. That's a part of it too. 
Now, whether you have ever had sex before or not, as I mentioned earlier, I am not trying to take a holier than thou stance. I read something really interesting that I agree with and I wanted to share because I think that there's a lot of shame around this topic when it comes to losing your virginity, right? Like if things didn't go as planned. But I really like this and I wanted to share it. What is purity? Can we lose it? Many people have the notion that purity is something that you have when you are young and then you lose it when you mess up. But in the Bible, purity is something that you go after. It is not so much something that you lose, but it's something that you gain as you grow in your walk of faith. I love that. I thought that was so beautiful because no matter your past, we're all just on a journey and none of us are perfect. What a great start to our journey together, exploring the science and real talk on love. That's our first episode. We've also got some epic merch available for our mission to revive romance and help you process your love life. We got some cool journals, notebooks, sweater, and who doesn't love coffee? Got a really cute coffee mug. So be sure to check it out and we will see you on our next episode of All Strings Attached. Attached is hosted by me, Angela Blair. The show is executive produced by Soul Shop, and our production coordinator is Spencer Tropper. Special thanks to the folks at City Reach Church and Daniel Rudnai for this awesome recording studio. Follow me at Official A Blair on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and follow the show at All Strings Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok too. Sign up for my newsletter at allstringsattachedpod.com. And if you go all out and send me an email at Angela at allstringspod.com, I may even respond. Don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts like every other show tells you to do. Until next time, I'm Angela Blair. Angela Blair.